It's a joy and an honor to be with you wonderful people again. I've been here before. I know you are kind, gracious people of God, and it just makes me rejoice that I have the honor and the opportunity of being here for this service this evening. I appreciate Tony, the good work that he continues to do for the Lord with this congregation. The one thing that I've wondered about with Tony when I turned off the interstate to come through Marston out here, I saw that big sign, Events Parking. They, they print a lot of information in the Tennessean about Bonnyroo. I have yet to read where they have asked Tony to lead the opening prayer. <laughs> Other than that, I think things are going great, Tony. Uh, I'm not sure that they've even invited any of the churches of Christ in Coffee County to furnish a portable baptistry for them. But uh, be that as it may, and the Lord have mercy on some folks. When I think about this subject tonight, I'm glad I can talk about it. Because when I started preparing it a few days ago, I started looking at my life. Am I selfish? And Am I an ingrate? And it has forced me to do what 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 tells all of God's people to do, examine yourselves, whether you be of the faith, prove your own selves, whether Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Now, when we look at this great statement from our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16 is one of those, I mean, mountain peaks in a great chain of mountains in the book of Matthew, verbally speaking. Uh, the Sadducees had asked Jesus to show them a sign, and he'd explain some things to them they needed to hear. And then he asked the disciples about his own identity. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And ironically, he got different answers. Now, you would have imagined when Jesus was here on this earth, performing miracles, the great teaching that he did, everyone would have said, this is the Messiah. This is the one the prophets said would come into the world. This is the Son of God. Not so. Some said, uh, well, he is Jeremiah. Others said he's Elijah. Some said, well, he's one of the prophets. Some said he's John the Baptist. He said, whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, our son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. Then he started explaining to the disciples, after he promised to give the keys to Peter of the kingdom, he began to explain they'd go up to Jerusalem, he would be betrayed, delivered into the hands of those that would... Uh, finally kill him, and Peter, he, he's ready to respond. He said, Lord, now wait a minute. That is not going to happen. And Jesus said this strange thing he, to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You, you're not understanding the things of God. You're, you're thinking like people think. And then he said to his disciples, if any man come after me, or will come after me, or the New King James says, desires to come after me, don't you see written all over that the possibility? If anybody wants to become a disciple of Jesus, 
That's the possibility with all of the blessings involved in becoming that disciple. The forgiveness of sin, redemption from sin, justification, God pronounces, pronouncing us pardoned or freed of our sins. It's all involved in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ with an obedient heart and obeying him from that heart. But he said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. There's a lot of difference in denying ourselves some things. Okay, I gave up this to become a Christian. I gave up that to become a Christian. There's a lot of difference in denying myself some things and denying myself. The very opposite of selfishness is self-denial. It's easy to talk about it, but that's the challenge of becoming a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ willing to deny ourselves. And in this day when television evangelists, so-called, and, and many others are presenting Christianity as kind of an easy life, you know, joy and no, no problems and no suffering and all of that, how's this sound to you? If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Jesus had just told them, I've got a cross to bear. They're going to kill me when we get down to Jerusalem. He said, uh, you want to really follow me? Take up your cross. Anything that I suffer to become and be a child of God is the cross I bear. And I've known some folks in my life that had to bear some pretty heavy crosses. Rejection by their own family because they became a member of the Lord's church. One situation I knew, man lost his job. And I tell you, some folks have t had to bear some real crosses. There have been family situations where a man had to bear a real cross to be a child of God. Or a woman had to bear a real cross to be a child of God. We're not talking about a bargain ba basement type religion. We're talking about a cross-bearing religion, suffering, paying the price. Jesus said, if you find your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Now, that's a paradox when a truth is standing on its head. If I find my life in terms of this world exclusively, I'm going to lose it. If I find my life in terms of entertainment, in terms of material things, and that, that's my life, I'm going to lose it. But if I lose my life, if I'm willing to bear my cross, if I'm willing to deny myself, I'm going to find life. I'm not going to find an existence. I have a biological existence. But Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone. You can have a biological existence by bread alone, but you cannot live. And the word he used translated live in that text means a quality of your existence that has meaning and purpose and peace and joy and hope. That comes by following the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, for what is, shall a man be profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, at best, we can gain such a meager part of what this world has to offer. No one has ever, 
ever accomplish the getting of the whole world. But if you could, and you die and go to hell, have you been a success or a failure? I will not reflect on your intelligence by answering that. Then he said, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Then shall he reward every man according to his work. One out of every 25 verses in your New Testament says to us, Jesus is going to come again. I regret that there have been time-setters and guessers who have deceived multitudes of people claiming that they had figured out the date when Jesus was going to return. Mr. Harold Camping, he had it all worked out. You know, he had insights nobody else had. It was going to be last May 21, if you remember. They had billboards up. I saw a big billboard out on Franklin Road. Jesus was going to come in May 21st. I don't think he did. So the gentleman had to revise the date. It was October. The, he missed it just a little bit. October the 21st. I read recently that he had confessed sin by what he had done there. He should. Think of all the people that were deceived by that. Well, when I think about believing in the second coming of Christ, I believe it as much as I believe anything about my Lord and Savior. What Jesus obviously is doing, he's trying to motivate us to pay the price of self-denial. He said, yeah, you'll have to take up a cross. But you're going to find your life, you're going to find it now, and you will find it eternally. And he said, it pays, it really does, because if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, you're a loser. And furthermore, you don't know exactly when I'm going to come, but when I do, that I'll be coming with the glory of the Father, my angels will be with me, and every person will be rewarded according to his work. So... There's enough motivation in that when you really analyze it to cause anyone of a sincere mind and heart to say, I will deny myself. Let's turn to this idea of this kind of sin that we're dealing with. When you pick up Galatians 5, you can read the works of the flesh. They're cataloged right there. Itemized so you can't miss it. But you know there are other kinds of sins we might call them polite sins. A person might not engage in the works of the flesh and yet be very, very selfish. A person might not get involved in any of the works of the flesh and yet be an ingrate. So these are, shall we say, polite sins. And we're going to focus on two of these polite sins, starting with selfishness, which is the mother of ingratitude. When I think about selfishness, it's really a mark of immaturity. Children generally are selfish. I mean, they've had their needs taken care of, and uh, sometimes it's hard to outgrow that. Have you ever, when you had children, uh, that, or maybe even now, visited a family where uh, the child that your child was visiting, had a special toy, and your child wanted to play with it. And the, Oh, no, that's mine, you know, that's mine. And uh, maybe your kid just kind of took to it and wanted to take it home with him. No way, Jose, that, that is mine. Well, that's okay for a child. But when we become adults, 
It's time to put away childish things. It's time to put away selfishness. I want to give you some manifestations of selfishness. Here's one. A woman that has a little baby in her body that's smoking. That's drinking alcohol. That's doing drugs. That little baby is going to be hurt. That's a selfish person that'll do that. They're not thinking about, could I possibly be hurting my little boy or my little girl? They're just thinking about, this is going to give me a high. This is what I want to do. You probably know that there are hospitals that have units where they take little babies and try to take them through withdrawal because they are born of selfish people. I was in a hospital in uh, Florida about 10 years ago, and we were in a session, and uh, I don't remember exactly what was being said, but I remember how a woman just started crying. And uh, she looked to me, maybe late 20s, and she said, I was high on cocaine when the water broke for my baby to be born. Too late. You've hurt your baby. Selfishness. Here's a man. He works, has a good job, good worker. Takes money that his family needs for food, pay utility bills, maybe pay rent or whatever. And he goes and gambles that. He plays the lottery so we can educate all these people. man was singing to me the praises of the lottery. He said, just think about all these people we're educating. I said, look, I never thought it was your responsibility to educate my children. I thought that was my responsibility. I don't want to tax on poor people so we can educate somebody's children when they have the responsibility of doing it. But this man gambles it away. Or... He takes it, spends it on alcohol. You know, really what he's doing, he's practicing being selfish. Or you think about the people who expose their children to meth labs. This is incredible, but it's happening in this state. It's reported, sometimes on the evening news, it's reported in the paper. They will find a meth lab, and they will discover little children in there, their parents making Meth. Can you imagine that? Somebody is selfish. They're not thinking about what they may be doing to these little children. And then I think about the people who robbed God. Malachi was giving the message of God to the people of his day. And this question is raised in Malachi chapter 3 when he said, Will a man rob God? There are a lot of folks today that rob other people. They throw guns in the face of people, and they rob them. I had a student at Lipscomb. John was working at one of these little late 7-Eleven store type things, working his way through college. Guy came in about 4 o'clock one morning, threw a shotgun on John, ordered him to get down on the floor. John cooperated. The guy got the money. And before he left, he stuck that gun over, and I forget how many pellets he put in John's back. The initial diagnosis was John would never be able to walk again. By the help of some good doctors and John's determination, 
he walked again. But I can still see him when he walked across the stage to get his degree, kind of shuffling his feet along. All because some thug robbed him and shot him. Now last weekend in Nashville, there was a man that did his last robbery. He'd been evidently robbing service stations. He robbed the wrong one because this fellow killed him. That's kind of drastic. But uh, robbing's going on all the time. You know, I, I read about problems you have in Warren County. It makes a Tennessee an occasion. And uh, it's like everywhere else. When I think about people robbing God, I, I, I have to sit in judgment all the time on, Am I, am I really giving to God what I need to be giving to God? If God took what you gave to him this morning and multiplied it by ten, now I'm, I'm not preaching tithing, but just as an illustration. If God took what you gave him this morning and multiplied it by ten and gave it back to you for this week, would you be happy with that? When I think about robbing God, it means that I am not practicing 1 Corinthians 16. You give as you have been prospered. It means I'm not taking seriously 2 Corinthians 9, 7. As a man purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now one brilliant brother, he explained it like this. He said, I can give a dollar cheerfully but I can't give $20 cheerfully. So God loves a cheerful giver, and I'll give a dollar. Well, brother, that's not the only passage that deals with giving. 1 Corinthians 16 also, and I'm not saying any of you did that. I don't think anybody here would do that. But do I rob God? Let's think about this one. What about time? Ephesians 5.17, Paul said, Redeem the time, literally, seize the opportunity. The days are evil. I love the folks where I preach. They've put up with me. I'm now in my 11th year. They've demonstrated love in so many ways, and I love them, and they know I do. I love their kids. I call them my spiritual grandkids. But, you know, we have some brethren. They only come on Sunday morning. They don't have time to come on Sunday night. They don't have time to come on Wednesday night. And, and I'm not saying they have a job that, that requires them to be there on Sunday night or Wednesday night. They just have other things to do with their time. Do I cheat God out of time because I'm selfish? I'd, I'd rather go to a horse show. I'd rather go to this or that or the other than go and, and worship God. Am I redeeming the time? Am I selfish with my time? You know, it takes time to be a child of God. I'm not, not talking about just time for worship either. I'm talking about time to teach people what to do to be saved. I'm talking about teaching unfaithful people to come back to the Lord. It takes time to do that. In doing personal work, I've found that sometimes you have to go week after, if, if you set it up on a weekly basis, 
one night a week. You have to go time and time and time again before finally you hope that they are going to realize their need and what to do to be saved and, and respond to that. But I've been in situations a few times where you go one week, keep on, you go a month, two months, and, and still they don't respond. And the question is, how long before you give up? How long before you finally conclude they're not interested, they're not going to respond? That is a difficult decision. But I don't want to be selfish with my time. All the time I have is what God gives me. And I want him to know how grateful I am for that gift. Selfishness is the mother of greed and covetousness. Greed has burdened this country like you wouldn't believe. Back when they had the collapse of Wall Street several years ago, and some of us saw our little retirement cut in half overnight, there was a senator from Nebraska, well, he's still a senator from Nebraska, Ben Nelson, who on national news said, the problem at Wall Street is avarice and greed. Amen. He had that labeled exactly right. More and more and more. Covetousness. People wanting what you've got. Going to try to beat you out of it. You know, all these scams that are going on. You ever get any of these calls? Scam? Oh, they're active. They're trying to beat people out of money drops. A year or two ago, I read in the paper, and this happened in Brentwood. A lady got caught up in a, a, a money drop, and I forget how many thousands of dollars she went and got out of the bank to trade for a big stack of money that, that they had in the newspaper, which turned out to be nothing but cut up pieces of newspaper. I thought, I can't believe that. But these scam artists, they are selfish people. They want what you have, and they'll get it any way they can. Let me give you an example of real old-timey selfishness. It's from Jesus himself in Luke 16. He tells about a rich man who fared sumptuously. He really lived in luxury. But there was a man that was laid at his gate. In a lot of countries, they build fences around their houses for protection. Here was this man laid at his gate. He was so sick. He had sores that the dogs would kindly help him by licking his sores. He would beg for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Now that man, that rich man, was a selfish fellow. Had he not been a selfish fellow, how long before he'd been out there trying to help that sick man? He'd been out there as fast as he could go. How long before he would have taken food to that man? It would have happened immediately. What is his basic problem? He is selfish. And that's the opposite of self-denial. Here's the greatest example I've ever read of self-denial. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
even the death of the cross. Here was the Lord Jesus Christ eternally in the glory of God, eternally with the presence of those sons of glory, the beauty, the security, the joy of God's throne. And what did he do? He denied himself that position. And he came here and he identified with us in a human form to face all kinds of mockery and blasphemy, finally to have people slap him in the face and spit on him and eventually put him through a beating like unto which you would not dare do an animal today, the scourging, and then nailing him to a cross. Now that is a manifestation of self-denial because he was doing it for me and doing it for you. What is the real motivation for self-denial? I don't have time to get into it, but it's Luke 10. And it's in a story Jesus told. We usually call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he was answering the question, what are two, the two great commandments of the law? Ask the man what's written, how do you read? And the man knew. He said, you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, go and do that. He said, well, trying to justify himself, who's my neighbor? That's when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. So if I really love God, I love other people. If I really love my neighbor, I'm not going to be selfish. I'm going to try to share the good news of salvation with my neighbor. I'll do everything I can to help my neighbor if, if he's sick. Who is my neighbor? That's the person that needs me at a particular time. And so love for God and love for neighbor. Now quickly over to the child of selfishness, and that's ingratitude. We evidently live in an ungrateful generation. Many young folks evidently are not very grateful to their parents. And there may be situations where a husband is not grateful for a spouse or a spouse is not grateful for a husband. Ingratitude for the blessing of living in this country. When I come back to this country, say from Guyana, First time, I said to the folks with me on the plane, I said, you know, when we land in Miami, if I can get to the ground, I'm going to kiss it. I meant it. Man, I was back in the good old USA. And I've been out of this country, and I've come back, and I have thanked God and thank God that this is my own, my native land. It's not a perfect country by any stretch of the imagination, but I wouldn't swap it for any country on this earth so far as I'm personally concerned. Here's an interesting thing about ingratitude. If you get right down into the heart of the prevalent unbelief, the atheism of today, for example, the Richard Dawkins crowd, the Christopher Hitchens, well, he died December the 12th last year from throat cancer, but he'd written that book, God is Not Great. Sam Harris, Letter to the Christian Nation. If you look down into the heart of those people, not the so-called intellect, but their hearts, You'll find ingratitude. Psalm 14.1 said, The fool has said, now watch this line, in his heart, not in his intellect, he said in his heart, there is no God. And if you read Romans 1, if you start with 16, where the gospel is God's power, and read on down to where God is explaining through the Apostle Paul that there were people that became ingrates, and consequently they lost their faith. 
He said the invisible, verse 20, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power or godhood or deity, so they are without excuse. But when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. I mean, atheists can breathe God's air and never think about it, evidently. They can drink his water and never think about it. They can eat food grown in his ground and never think about it. Ingrates. That comes out of selfishness. Gratitude recognizes, as James 117 tells us, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. They are good gifts in a process. It's an ongoing thing that God does for us. And they're the best gifts because they come from God. The basis, really, of being a grateful person is to be a thoughtful person. You think, and you will think. If you think of the blessings that you have, gratitude expressed is about as normal as breathing. I have a little idea that, that kind of keeps me going with regard to expressing gratitude. I believe that appreciation unexpressed can be gratitude that is unknown. So I try to let folks know for every kind deed that they do for me that I'm grateful. And, and I, I buy cards by the stacks. I want them to know through a card that I'm grateful for whatever they've done. Where I preach there's a lady, she ought to own a bakery. She bakes real sourdough bread. And uh, she furnishes me my bread. Well, I, I try to let that lady and her husband know I am so grateful for that. And so I will get them cards in the mail and I, I realize too sometimes that, that they don't give her the stuff that she uses to make that bread. And so in a, another tangible way, I try to say I'm grateful to you for what you're doing for me. Giving thanks. Think about the power of gratitude. <clears throat> Philippians 4, starting verse 6, Paul said, Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts, keep, stand there like a soldier on guard, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Any of you have any anxiety, have any health concerns? Where I preach, we got some folks with health concerns. Brain tumor, another man fighting malignancy, another lady taking chemo. Those are real health concerns. And probably some of you have been down that road. You've had your health issues. But when we are anxious, if we will just... Start giving thanks. It'll stop that tape that you, you can run around and around in your mind. Whatever's troubling you, maybe a family situation, maybe this, maybe that, but some way you stop the tape and you refocus. And one way to do that is just stop and thank God that things are as well with you as they are. And uh, read about a man who said he complained he didn't have shoes till he met a man that didn't have any feet. When I think about 
the things that God has given to me that has that have blessed my life. One of the great blessings God gives me is folks like you to be my brothers and sisters in the Lord. The people where I preach, my brothers and sisters. And that's not just an identification. That's a meaningful expression. My brothers, my sisters. God gave me three brothers and one sister. They're all in eternity. But I have a bunch of brothers and sisters now all over this good land. And for every one of them, I'm grateful to God. When I think about Paul telling us to give thanks, he manifested. In Colossians, he opened that little book by saying that he gave thanks for those people, and there were three things for which he gave thanks. For the hope that was laid up for them in heaven, for the faith that they had, and for the love that they had for one another. He said he thanked the Lord. He thanked God for that. Now here's an example of Paul actually expressing gratitude. He's on that voyage, you know, to Rome. They get caught in that storm. They're not sure they're going to survive. He's trying to reassure them. An angel of the Lord had appeared to him. He said they would not be a loss of life. Uh, but he said uh, it's time to take food. They, they were not even eating. Have you ever been in such a situation you just didn't have an appetite? Something had so burdened your heart? Well, these folks, they were not eating. So Paul took food. And I think it's interesting that the inspired historian Luke would tell us that he took that food and in their presence he gave thanks. The question arises a lot of times, you know, if you're eating in a restaurant, do you give thanks? You don't want to put on a show of your religion. Well, I give thanks. And the reason I give thanks is not for show, it's to show. It's to show folks I know where my food's coming from. And I'm thanking God for it. I'm not trying to put on a show. But I want people, I want people to know that I'm grateful to that gracious God. In that first Thessalonian letter, which is probably the very first one penned by the Apostle Paul. If there's one that predates it, of course, it would be Galatians. That church was an infant church. And he, write that, he writes that inspired document to them, telling them how to correct certain problems that had arisen and how they could be acceptable in the sight of God. And you get down to chapters 5, down to chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, and he's telling them to give thanks, offer thanks, not just be grateful. Don't be like the little boy who put his prayer on his little bedroom wall and before you go to sleep he'd say, Lord, those are my sentiments. No, sir, you, you express thanks to God. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. It'll surprise you what the Lord has done. I pray that you and I, as we reflect on this, will remember the ultimate thing for which to be grateful. 2 Corinthians 9:15. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. The greatest gift God ever gave humanity is his son come to this earth, suffer and bleed and die, pay the price for our sins, that we could be saved from sin and for heaven, that we could be delivered from the power of darkness and brought into the light of the kingdom of God's dear Son, that we could be delivered from the domination of the devil into the liberty in Jesus Christ, all because God loved us and sent his Son, gave him for us. You appreciate that?
Have you, ever, have you shown God your gratitude by obeying that son? That's the way we express gratitude to Christ, obeying him from our hearts, responding to his invitation. He said, come unto me. I'll give you rest. I will give you the deliverance from the toil and turmoil and tragedy of sin. I will enable you to become a forgiven, redeemed, justified child of God and bound for heaven. Have you expressed gratitude to the Lord by obeying him from your heart, coming with a penitent mind to sweeten your lips with his loving name, to submit to his command to be baptized? If you haven't, you can tonight. Preparations have been made. Have you one time in your life really tasted the joy of salvation, but the world kept pulling and tugging until finally you just kind of gave in and gave up? Well, the Lord hasn't given up on you. He has a way for you to come home. Coming back with a penitent mind, confessing that unfaithfulness and pouring out your soul in fervent prayer to God for forgiveness, he will abundantly pardon. Who's standing at the door of your heart and seeking entrance? It's the Lord. Would you hear and open the door? Let us sing.